Looking for a way to keep your kids or grandkids entertained? Just tell your smart speaker to play Vision Kids Radio. Vision Kids! Problem solved. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We'll always enjoy a catch-up with Ashley Saunders on the most critical issues that face the nation of Australia. He has so much good to contribute. And uh, Ashley Saunders, National Director, Family Voice Australia, uh, welcome back to 2020. Uh, Good morning, Neil. Great to be with you again. Ashley, we can watch the headlines on the news and we can let them just pass by and assume that all is well. But there are some disturbing things that are happening and we'll touch on a number of those in our conversation today. But let's start with Cardinal George Pell, uh, standing trial now, ordered to do so uh, yesterday. Uh, We don't know how many charges involving how many complainants. What are your thoughts on uh, George Pell and the trial that's coming? I I guess what's important um, to do is to frame the conversation within the context that... um, uh, George Pell denies any wrongdoing and he, like anybody else, is entitled to the presumption of innocence. Some people, as I've been speaking with them this week, have been confused by exactly what has already happened uh, and what is likely to happen. And so at the expense of saying some things that many of your listeners would be aware of, um, the committal proceedings stage of a criminal trial is to test whether or not there is sufficient evidence on the prosecution side to warrant a trial by a jury. Now, in America, people might be familiar with the expression, the grand jury. Well, in America, a grand jury might decide whether or not um, there's sufficient evidence. But in Australia, we do that before a magistrate of the local court or whatever that court might be called from state to state. And the idea is that it's not about um, giving your defence. It's about testing whether the prosecution evidence is strong. They call it whether there's prima facie evidence, whether there is evidence on the face of it that warrants the expense and time and trouble of actually going to a jury trial. And so that's what the four-week committal hearing was about. And um, there are some good reasons why information about how many charges and how many complainants, there are some good reasons why that kind of information is suppressed by some courts in some jurisdictions. Uh, It's not only about ensuring that the defendant, whoever he or she might be, can get a fair trial if it goes that far, but it's also about trying to protect so far as you can the identity of um, complainants, which is not Um, A consideration in most matters, but where child sexual assault matters are concerned, is a very real consideration. And so, yes, we're in the dark about exactly how many um, matters were dismissed by the magistrate. We know that some were, but we're, we're in the dark about exactly how many. And we're in the dark about exactly how many charges involving how many complainants Pell will face. But we know that there's at least two because one of the things that happened yesterday at the directions hearing was that um, um, George Pell's uh, barrister asked for and was granted separate trials. And so what we know is that there's going to be at least two trials involving each of, uh, each of two different complainants. Uh, what we were told yesterday uh, by the media reports of the directions hearing was that 
um, th- they are different complainants and some 20 years apart. So whether there's um, charges that only relate to two complainants that are going to trial, we don't know, but we know that there's at least two. And, uh, and, and so the process to date has been the magistrate testing whether there's enough evidence to require um, Cardinal Pell to defend those before a jury. And I hope that in what I've said that does make sense and is able to, uh, I guess, partly educate and partly help make sense of where this tr- where these matters have been and where they're going. It does bring some good clarity and always aware here, and we've had these conversations in the past, Ashley Saunders, uh, we want perpetrators to be brought to justice. But it does appear in this case, and with all of the uh, issues that surround Cardinal George Pell, victims want someone in seniority to be brought to account uh, for the things that have been black marks on the church's record over generations. It does appear that he is the one who is in the sights, he is the target, and whatever they can pin on him, that's what they're looking to do. Uh, Certainly the... The evidence that was that came out at the committal, that was to the effect that um, a task force was set up by the police in Victoria. Uh, I think the evidence was some 12 months before there had even been a single complaint, and so it was a task force set up. Um, the, the, the police person giving evidence denied that it was a, a get pill task force, but. You and I could ask ourselves what else it might have been if a task force was set up um, for 12 months um, going around and, in a sense, looking for people to make complaints. And and, uh, I think many of your listeners would be rightly concerned about that aspect of, of, of these matters. Let's move on because there are some significant issues that are in the headlines and that will be in the headlines and especially those that concern denominations in Australia and uh, there is one headline suggesting that the Uniting Church in Australia could be the country's first major Christian denomination to allow same-sex marriage. Uh, What are your thoughts on the reporting so far? Well, certainly what has happened is that uh, a Uniting Church committee uh, called the Working Group on Doctrine, was tasked uh, by the, the Church's Assembly, which is their peak body here in Australia, to uh, investigate and prepare a report on uh, on marriage. And there were four options, as I understand it, that this working group um, considered. And uh, one of those, I guess they, they, they ranged in options from um, the Church continuing to only recognise um, man-woman marriage and for ministers of the Uniting Church only to solemnise those marriages. Uh, And then there were a couple of what you might call middle options where um, the church only does man-woman marriage, um, but could um, ministers could bless same-sex unions either without or with some rituals or some rites involved in that, through to the fourth option, which is the one that the working group has recommended, according to reports, which is that whilst ensuring that no minister conducts a same-sex marriage against uh, his or her conscience, that the Uniting Church ought to recognise and solemnise uh, same-sex marriages. So that's, that's the reporting about the, the work of this working uh, group on doctrine. Um, in July of this year, the Assembly um, of the Uniting Church 
we'll need to consider that, and um, and and it really has significant ramifications. Um, and uh, already there are people within that church who have a conviction about uh, about marriage, um, have a conviction about a biblical view of marriage, have a conviction that that not only in the Old Testament but Jesus reinforced um, the idea of man-woman marriage, and that it, it is not just um, a marriage or a union that is natural, but it but it is indeed at the core of the gospel, at the core of God's pattern for marriage and family. There are people in the Uniting Church with serious concerns about where the church might be going and what they do in the event that the church um, accepts this recommendation. From what I understand in the Uniting Church, this division, as you point out, there are groups within the Uniting Church, some who are passionately in favour of change and those who are passionately opposed to change. Sometimes I've heard them referred to as confessing congregations in the Uniting Church. Uh, with this sort of deliberation that is ahead, uh, let me just reflect on a, a bit of a pessimistic side here because the the the, uh, the worst-case scenario, of course, is a split in the Uniting Church. Now, uh, that's something that we ought to be talking to the Uniting Church leadership about, but, uh, but that would be a worst-case scenario because some people are so passionate they won't stay if there was change. What are your thoughts, Ashley Saunders? Well, in the event that um, uh, in the event that the assembly accepts uh, this recommendation, I, I think the options range from um, individuals and families leaving that church and joining other churches, um, right through to uh, entire congregations walking away. And uh, and it is already the case that some congregations are considering what their future might look like now. Um, the the idea of um, um, a division in a church called uniting is um, is, is I guess uh, food for those without faith um, to look in on and and um, and I guess it's the stuff that comedian scripts could be made of and and so it's it's with no sense of joy or glee um, that I reflect on where the uniting church finds itself. Because one of the options um, is not just groups of individuals walking away, but entire congregations walking away. That is a possibility. And uh, and I would again urge uh, you and your listeners to to join with me in praying uh, for the Uniting Church Assembly in July. That's right, and that proposal is going to be considered by 265 members at the Uniting Church's 15th Assembly meeting in July, the Church's national decision-making forum that meets once every three years. Uh, no doubt we'll be talking some more about that, and that issue will undoubtedly be one of the dominant issues that they'll be discussing. Before I let you go, Ashley Saunders, another issue that came to light this week in Tasmania, a significant change and I think the Liberal Hodgman government caught by surprise but the road ahead for the Hodgman government has become a little bit more difficult with a new speaker that has decided to distance herself from the Liberal Party. Uh, what are your thoughts and what's your take on what's happening in Tasmania? Well a bit of history um, or, or rather commentary for those of your listeners who may not have yet caught up on what's been happening this week in Tasmania is that one of the first things uh, a new parliament needs to do is to appoint a speaker. And uh, the uh, Liberal government was taken by surprise 
when the Labor Greens opposition nominated um, a brand new, a newly elected Liberal uh, member uh, to be the Speaker. And, um, and she accepted um, the nomination um, and she then voted with Labor and the Greens opposition for her to be appointed the Speaker. Um, and uh, so she is the Speaker. Um, she has said that she will not take part in uh, Liberal Party party room discussions, and there's a sense in which that's appropriate for a speaker. But she goes further to say that she will regard herself as an independent Liberal. And then there's even been a commentary this morning to the effect that she had at one stage entertained um, joining um, Parliament uh, as, uh, as a Labor candidate. And so questions about where she sits, uh, regardless of all the rest of it, people who voted for her and people who voted for the Liberal government in Tasmania would have every right to be uh, suspicious, not unlike what happened in the Federal Parliament a few years ago uh, when Peter Slipper was made uh, the Speaker by the Labor uh, government. And that was done again in order to try and nullify, to change the numbers. And so, again, for the assistance of listeners who may not be as au fait with these things... Um, the idea of appointing somebody as a speaker, it changes the numbers on the House. Now, now the, the Liberals in Tasmania had 13 members um, to Labor and Greens opposition 12. And so by one of the Liberal members becoming the speaker, that means that the numbers are 12-12 uh, on the floor of the Parliament. And it makes um, the idea of getting legislation through just that much more difficult. And... Uh, uh, and yes, uh, the commentary I've uh, read and listened to says that the Hodgman government was taken by surprise and um, it will be really interesting to see what practical impact this has on the legislation that gets through and the legislation that is blocked uh, as a result of this move in Tasmania. Is there an upside anywhere here, Ashley Saunders? Because sometimes when we would see the Speaker of a Parliament... Uh, oftentimes uh, biased, uh, prejudiced uh, towards their side of politics and, and of course the Speaker is appointed from the government side but is there an upside where you've got a Speaker who says uh, I'm going to take seriously a role of neutrality here and I'm not going to block supply, I'm not going to uh, go along with any motions of no confidence uh, but I'm going to continue uh, as a role in a Speaker's chair holding the government and opposition to account. Is there an upside? Uh, there is potentially an upside um, in the sense that um, if a speaker takes his or her role seriously and takes the conventions of that role seriously, um, but what it might mean in practical circumstances is that if the speaker uses her um, casting vote to say, according to the convention, um, my casting vote must be cast in the negative, um, then that would mean that next to no legislation will get through. Uh, I guess looking beyond that, um, we had the situation in Tasmania in the last parliament where there was um, a proposal for euthanasia which was defeated. Uh, one of the questions for this new parliament is whether the opposition in Tasmania might seek to bring back that kind of legislation into the parliament and whether that kind of legislation is more likely to get through. So, yes, there are some upsides. Yes, there are some conventions that ought to be followed uh, with, with practical implications. And then we ask ourselves, well, 
what is the kind of agenda that um, the Labor Greens opposition might be interested in where the Speaker might be minded to decide with them and is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, uh, there's something there, a prayer point for Tasmanians, isn't there? Because when the morality of the Speaker becomes uh, the uh, the balance of power on issues of uh, social uh, significance, uh, that could be very uh, amazingly significant for uh, the nation, uh, for the state of Tasmania. Ashley Saunders, always appreciate your insights. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. Uh, National Director of Family Voice Australia, let me point people to uh, the Family Voice Australia website, fava.org.au, and uh, great resources on the website and up-to-date understanding of issues as they unfold around the nation. Ashley, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Neil, and all the best to you. Have a great day. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.